Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Pros Like Us. Brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We've officially reached the non-playing part of the NFL season, the talent evaluation part of the season. The Combine's coming up. Pro days are coming up. The All-Star games have happened. We still got the HBCU Legacy Bowl at the end of this week uh, on Saturday. So got a lot going on. The uh, franchise tag window is open, but uh, we do also have a guest coming up here. Yeah, let's go to him right now. He is a defensive tackle from the Troy Trojans. Number 21, the pride of Goulds, Florida, Shaquel Brown. Shaquel, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing all right. Exciting times, you know, getting get, leading up to the draft. Are you starting to feel it at all? Yes, sir. Always been a dream of mine. Um, at first, it was, uh, you know, I was a basketball player, but, you know, I always had dreams of being a professional basketball player. I, I was I was like saying I'm gonna get drafted in basketball and football, so yeah, it's definitely been a you know dream of mine to uh, go through this process. All right, well, we haven't had a, a dual sport guy in a while. Coaches at Troy want want you playing hoops too? <laughs> nah, uh, I got a little too big for that. Uh, in high school, I was smaller. <laughs> I was way smaller, so I could do both. But now, strictly defensive line. Now. All right. Well, I was thinking, hey, maybe another Charles Barkley. You never know. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Well, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today, but we, we always like to start kind of like at the beginning, right? So if you were to characterize it, Shaquille, where did your football journey begin? It began as a, as a little kid, you know, you know, uh, in the backyard playing, you know, with your cousins and, and friends and things of that nature. It started, it started pretty young. I, I stopped playing in eighth grade and I played only basketball from ninth until 11th grade. And then my senior year, I played football again. So like I said, I was a hooper, man. I, I didn't really have any football dreams um, from ninth until 11th grade. It started 12th grade year. Um, I kind of got forced into playing my senior year. It worked out perfectly fine for me. When you say forced, what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> so I had a coach uh, when I transferred. I left Miami, Florida and transferred to Lincoln High School in Tallahassee. So when I transferred there, uh, Coach uh, Yusuf Shakir, uh, he kind of forced me to play. He told me uh, if I if I wanted to play basketball, I had to play football. So he wasn't going to let me play. So <laughs> so I kind of was like forced into it because I, I really wanted to play basketball. So I ended up playing football and I didn't even play basketball that season, which is crazy. So kind of got forced into it. Well, in most cases, you know, playing multiple sports always helps you in, in both games, right? Yes, sir. Fast forward a little bit to, to Troy. I'd seen a post, our condolences. I know it's it's a, way, a ways back, but your mom passed away uh, yes, in September of 21. Yes, what sir. did she mean to you? I mean, we won't go into the personal stuff, but just as a football player, what, what did she mean in your football journey and then what it meant to you as a player? 
Um, my mom meant a lot to my football journey, man. Um, it was a time where I was just working. I wasn't even in school. I was real big on it because uh, I, I had a job doing pipeline work. And I was like making, you know, some some pretty good money. I was like, yeah, I'm done with football. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna focus on this. This is before I went to went back to junior college. Um and she was just like, No, I believe in you. I feel like, you know, just give it one more shot and um everything will be fine. She pushed me to, you know, go back to school and it was a great decision for for uh, me to listen to her, you know. It was hard for her to make it to games because she worked like, you know, seven days a week, twelve hours a day. So she couldn't really make it to any games. And what's crazy is uh, her first game that she was going to come to was actually the next week um, before she passed. Uh, like that, that that week coming up, she was going to come to her first ever Troy game to, to watch me play. So just her being in my corner, uh, you know, emotionally, I always could call her and talk to her if I was having a bad day. And um, losing that was definitely a, a big blow to my life. A lot of times in the moment, you don't realize it, but, you know, the old saying, mom knows best. And yes, obviously she knew what was best for you. Yes, sir, definitely. Uh, Shaquille, where are you currently training for the NFL draft? I'm down here in Tampa, Florida, um, training at Cooper Sports Performance. Why uh, Cooper Sports? Why did you choose that facility? Um, I had did a lot of research with different places, and um, I just felt like, you know, from talking to him, he had the same, you know, ideas. You know, he uh, he told me things that he could help me work on, um, and I had seen like the guys that he had before. Also, I had a, a teammate that was coming here as well, so that was real big. Um, the safety that played for us as well, Craig Slocum, he's here with me. So I also had someone that was coming with me. So it was kind of like a no-brainer for me, like, okay, um, this guy's going to help me gear. And then I have someone I'm already pretty close to, been with him for three years, so might as well just go here. So as you look back on your training so far, what areas of your game have you improved the most during these couple of months? Definitely my explosion. Um, definitely had to work on that. Um I'm about 295 right now, but I'm jumping to 34 uh, inches right now, trying to get that up. Um, definitely my bench press, I've done 29 so far, trying to get at least 35 for pro day. Um, and then my 40, I've ran a 4.9, but I'm trying to get at least a 4.8, 4.7, if I can get it down there with the mechanics. Um, I ran a 4.9 early on, so um, really without the mechanics that he teaches. So if I could, you know, fix the little things, I could definitely, you know, turn some heads. He's definitely helped me in those areas, though. I'm definitely stronger and faster and uh, more lean than I was during the season. Um, and that's what I want to showcase for Pro Day. So the basketball background has helped you here during yes, your sir. training. I mean, obviously, you've, you're you showing explosion. You're showing your jumping ability. So yes, it sir. helps being a, a two-sport athlete. Yes, sir, definitely. Yeah. All right, Trying to jump to 36, man. All right. I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty impressive for a, a almost a 300-pound lineman. Yes, sir, it is. So you're gonna you're gonna turn some heads at the pro day. Yes, sir. Hoping to. All right, sounds good. I mean, are you planning to obviously show some versatility as well? You've played inside, but obviously you can you can switch outside a little bit as well in the in a three man scheme, right? Yes, sir. Uh, that's that's what I played this year, kind of in the four eye. So you know, you sometimes you play in a five, sometimes you play in a three. Um, I could definitely do it. Um, I played nose in my career. I played three tech and I played you know five tech. So. I could definitely do it all. Whatever they need me to do, I could do it. So you mentioned after high school you went to work, and then you decided to give it another go and and go the JUCO route. How has JUCO helped you? I mean, tell us about that experience and how it helped you in your football journey. Um, JUCO was actually great. Well, actually, I went. I signed with Highland Community College out of high school, and then I ended up just going to work and getting a job after I left there. Those things didn't work out, but. 
Um, I ended up transferring to Itawamba, and you know, when I got to Itawamba, it was just like, you know, it was great. Uh, coach Ray Williams, my defensive line coach, um, I basically walked on, but I, I, contact, I contacted them uh, ahead of time, and they gave me like a workout. So I worked out and things of that nature, and um, they put me on scholarship. JUCO is pretty hard, man. <laughs> it's not it's not like Division One. Like, JUCO is really up to you. Like, okay, you really got to showcase things because there's still coaches that's out there looking to, you know, for the next guy. I just really appreciate those guys who give me an opportunity. Uh, a kid that, you know, that was out of state, they only could take eight. They, they was already full. So when I came, they, they kind of had to, you know, get rid of some guys for me to, for me to uh, get a scholarship. And I, I'm just really, like, grateful that them guys did that for me and gave me an opportunity. What were the schools involved that recruited you, and why did you choose Troy? I really chose Troy because I had, at the time I had Coach Davin Williams, and, you know, he was uh, at East Mississippi, and I had seen him, like, you know, plenty of times. And I knew I knew he would push me. Like, he called me every single day, and it was like it was like a long time since I felt like I was wanted by a coach. It was kind of like a no-brainer, man. Like, even when I went on my visit to Troy, like, it was nobody really there but the players. And like the love that I was getting shown by the players um, and things of that nature, I was just like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta come here. I'm wanted here. Um, I know where I play right away, and I'm kind of closer to home. So uh, whenever my mom get a chance, she'll be able to come and watch me play because I'm, I was like two hours from Florida, so she had an opportunity to come to watch me uh, in the game. So it kind of was just a no-brainer for me, man. I, that's, that was just like the best option for me. Now, guys wear you know, all different numbers at different positions, but honestly, Shaquille, I've never seen anybody playing defensive tackle wearing number 21. <laughs> so I just want to – let's get to the bottom of this. What, what's the significance of, of wearing number 21? So 21 was actually my high school number. Um, I was supposed to wear a seven in high school, but uh, like me and the coach had a bet, and I, I ended up losing the bet, so I had to wear a 21 for the season. Uh, he wouldn't let me get seven for the season, so – what ended up happening, like happening when I got to Troy, uh, one of the guys who had number 21, he actually had uh, medically retired. So I was asking, like, well, you know, what, what numbers are uh, is available? And they told me, like, they sent me the list of all the numbers. And I said, yeah, can I get 21? And that's that's kind of how I just stuck with it because it was my high school number. So what was the bet? How did that come about? It was like I had to do, like, you know, I had to do, like, uh, like bear crawling within, like, a, a certain amount of time. And I ended up not making it. Yeah, he, uh, he he kept up with his. I thought I thought you know like okay, he's still gonna let me get a number, but he never let me get a number. I still just had the twenty one. Accountability, man. You got you got to stick to it. Now, recently, uh, fellow Troy alum was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Demarcus Ware. He, yes, you know, he played on the defensive line as well. How has he inspired you? Do you have a relationship just because of him being from Troy? Does he come back? You know that sort of thing. What uh, what can you tell us about the guy? Yes, sir. He comes back. Um, I've talked to him about twice since I was there. Um, it's definitely inspiring, like seeing a guy that came from, you know, uh, a group of five school. You know, you know, he's one of the top guys that ever played a position. So it definitely gives me inspiration to know, like, it doesn't matter where you play, you know, how big or small you are. Uh, you definitely have a shot from anywhere. So that, uh, that's definitely something that I took into consideration when picking Troy as well. Well, he's certainly deserving, and uh, yeah, that's that's a great relationship to have, you know, to get some pointers coming into the league while you're there being a pro. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, now, if somebody, if for some of our audience that may not have seen you play, describe your game, and then also what it takes to thrive playing inside so close to the ball. I feel like I'm a run stopper. I definitely showed that this past season. I had you know close to 40 tackles um, inside, splitting time with another senior as well. 
you know, I'm a pass rusher. I had four sacks this season. Uh, I left I left a lot on the table, man. I hate that. I probably could have had about, you know, 10 this year if I would have just <laughs> did, you know, stuck one way or something like that. But uh, I'm definitely like a, a run stopper. Um, I'm, I'm not a guy who has uh, who has to come out on any down. Um, I can pass, I can rest the pass on third down, and I can, you know, stop the run on first and second down. Um, I'm, I'm a guy who, who will run to the ball, and I'm a guy who, you know, who, who can keep going. I don't have to come out, you know, for being tired or anything like that. It's always the ones that you miss that you remember, right? Yes, sir. Definitely. <laughs> I got a lot of those. Now, you guys had a great year. Uh, 12 and 2, uh, conference champs. You beat uh, Coastal in the in the championship game. You won your bowl Pro game Pro at the Pro end Pro of the year. Pro Pro uh, Pro what was that against UTSA? You had a lot of success. You know, what, what we always ask about, ask people, you know, what lessons they take from like failures or maybe some not so great results. But here you guys had a great season. So in that vein, what type of lessons did you take from all the success? From the success I've learned, like, you know, uh, if you're going to have a successful you know, season with a team, you got to have to be close. We had our entire team was really together for the past two, three years. So. Um, we were like a tight knit team, especially our defense. Like not not to say we weren't close with the offensive guys, but our defense was just like the closest was just on another level. We ate together, we did a lot of different things together, which made us you know closer. And then what also helped us was that that loss to App State. I seen like you know the emotion of the guys um, after the game, and like right there after that game when we lost that um, on that last second touchdown, I knew right then like we would never lose again. Um, for the rest of the season because I because of like the feelings and the emotion of the whole team. I knew like we were, we were clicking, we would win majority, if not all, the rest of the games that we had left. Obviously, when you have a great year, it was a losing program, and then all of a sudden it just changes. Yes, in, in a matter of one season, the coaches play a huge role in that. Yes, so talk about what impact your head coach and the rest of the coaching staff had on the culture on the team this past season. Man, when Coach Summerall first got there, man, he like he that's a that's a that's a guy, man. He like he would run through a brick wall for a guy like that. He just he's just a heck of a coach. Like uh, he he can get you motivated. Like even when you're having a bad day, you always want to do put out your best effort for a coach like that because you know he has your back and he has like your best interest and in, you know in mind. The schemes that they were come up with and the defense that they that they put us into this past year, uh, we we were a good defense, you know, the first two years I was there, of course. But this past year, um, with the with the little tweaks that we made, we became a dominant defense. So, like the coaching was definitely a great thing. Um, we, we were like top ten in every category across the boards, basically. So, um, like the coaching was definitely a thing that that helped us thrive and become a great program. And hopefully we can keep it going. You know, I want to see my young guys keep it going for me. You know, I want to come back for, uh, you know, homecoming and see my young guys put more uh, conference championships up there on the wall. So we can expect Troy to dominate the Sun Belt in the next few years. Yes, sir. We have some we have some great young players that was coming up. Um, they did a great job recruiting. Um, I, I had a couple of recruits before I ended up leaving that came around December. That's you know going to be some good guys and help us continue to dominate the uh, the Sun Belt these next couple of years we wanted to ask you about the sun belt just in general like what are some of the things that you see in the sun belt that most fans wouldn't know about the things that you would never really know is that it's some great players in the sun belt like you would think just because we we're a group of five conference that oh the guys aren't really that good and all like when i when i play against you know the sec teams and the, the byus and things like you know the power five schools 
it's not a major drop off, if any, when I play against you know my Sunbelt Conference teams as well. So it's some it's some great guys out there that can do some very good things. They may not be as big as those as power five schools like players, but these guys can do the same exact things, if not better. You mentioned earlier, Shaquille, that uh, the job you took was working on pipelines. Yes, sir. How did that help you as as a player or just as a teammate or just in any way you feel like that experience helped you in football? So I was working with guys who was about 30, you know, 40, 50 years old, you know, with kids. And I'm, I'm just a 19-year-old. You know, I have no kids, no nothing. And I'm getting along with these guys. And, I'm, you know, um, I'm with these guys every day for three months. Every single day I was working seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. So, you know, that, that kind of becomes your family. And it was like different, like, guys from all races. It was, you know, white guys, you know, uh, Asian guys, Mexican guys. Like, it was different races. So I learned how to, you know, be around uh, multiple different people. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't closed off to a certain race. Like, even though I'm African-American, I wasn't just closed off to African-American people. I could sit in the room and have a conversation with multiple different people. So when I came back to football, it made it easier for me to, like, you know, be more of a team player instead of like just a guy who's just worried about himself. Would that be something you'd go back to? Like if, if football somehow, you know, didn't work out, would you go back to the pipeline or do you have some something else in mind down the road? Definitely a uh, pipeline, but I have my degree in psychology. So I was just going to finish my master's. Uh, I have a few more classes to take to get my master's. So I was definitely going to do that as well. But yeah, definitely pipeline is definitely something I could do because I have all my certifications to go back to it. But definitely like something within the pipeline on welding, things of that nature, you know, uh, start a great career for myself so I can take care of me and my family. So in terms of psychology, is there a, a particular discipline you were looking at? Are you talking one dealing with patients one on one or law enforcement or what, what kind of ideas did you have there? I'm really big into child psychology. I had a, I had a great class that I was like very interested in, like learning the psychology of a child. And that was kind of something that I said I could, you know, probably, you know, uh, get my own practice in, like uh, something of that nature within child psychology. Learning and understanding why a child thinks or why a child does this at this stage when different things of that nature. That's great. I mean, obviously, I mean, it sounds like you're really into giving back and you're, it sounds like you're very much a humanist. So that, yes, that's always a good quality to have no matter what you do. We talked earlier about, you know, describing your game and, and how you thrive on the inside. In terms of the NFL, what are some of the characteristics or what gives you the confidence that you can not just, you know, go to camp, but stick with a team? I'm a guy. I'm a guy that you can uh, depend on. You know, I'm good. I'm great with you know learning plays. I'm a great locker room guy. I always have good energy. I well, I couldn't always say I had great energy, but you know, like the man I am today, you know, I had to change and become the man I am today. So I'm a great uh, locker room guy. You won't have any off the field issues with me. I don't have off the field issues, and I'm a guy that's just gonna work hard, man. I'm gonna come and put a, put in extra work. The guys gonna see me putting the extra work, um, which which will like you know lead to other guys doing it as well. And I'm just a guy that's just going to do my job, whatever was ever asked of me. If I'm a practice squad guy, I'm a practice squad guy. I'm going to be the best practice squad guy that they have. If I'm on the active roster and I'm a role player, I'll be the best role player. If I'm a starter, I'm going to be the best that I could be or whatever. It's a great attitude to have, sir. And we really appreciate you joining us. Give you a few minutes here. You can have the mic for about 30 seconds or so or however long you want. Uh, shout out your social media. If there's any cause you're working on, anything you want to say, just go ahead and uh, – Give it a go right now. 
Okay, uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Shaquille Brown 21. Um, on Facebook, I'm Shaquille Malik Brown. That's my middle name. And then on Instagram, um, you can find me at Shaquille Brown as well. I'm on, I'm on every single platform um, as far as that. Yeah, that's about it. Just ready, ready for the draft. All right. Once again, Shaquille, it was a real pleasure having you on. Thanks for taking the time and uh, good luck down the road. Hopefully we'll see you in camp. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks again to Shaquille Brown, defensive tackle, run stuffer type, but he does have some pass rush ability to him. So be interesting to see how things progress for him throughout this spring. Alex, franchise tag window is open. There's a bunch of names out there that potentially could be tagged. Lamar is probably the one that everybody's going to be talking about. It's almost like, you know, when they elect a new pope, we're waiting for that white puff of smoke to come from the chimney. We know nothing about what's going on with Lamar, right? I mean, it's just been all this speculation. What does he want? Does he want all guaranteed money? What do you do here? Do you you just trade him? Well, I'm not inside that building. I don't know what the Ravens are going to do. I'm just going to speculate. I do think they have to franchise tag him. I don't think they can just let him go. I think they have the deadline by, what, like March 7th, I believe, and he's going to get the non-exclusive tag number for a quarterback is about over $32 million. So they have to do right. it, Lou. There's no ifs or buts about it. I mean, if the, even if they're going to trade him in the offseason or before a training camp, even if he holds out, at least you're going to receive something for him. I mean, you're you're holding... You know, all the chips here as an organization. So you have the quarterback, a young quarterback in his prime. There will be a few teams willing to trade a few first round picks for him. You can get a nice capital. So the Ravens have to do a business decision. I don't think they're going to reach a deal here in the next 10 days. I don't think it's going to happen. So I do think that Lamar is going to get the franchise tag. Yeah, procedurally, they have to do it. But again, from a just a value perspective, he's probably going to have more value in trade now than he's going to have. I mean, obviously, as more years go on, that's you know a lot more tread off of the tire and teams are going to be a little bit leery just because of the style of game that he plays. So with that tag, if somebody was to sign him, and they have the right to match, or they just let him go, they would automatically get two number one picks. Now, obviously, the team has to have number one picks in order to talk with Lamar, so that's that's a big part of it as well. I'm guessing that if they trade him, because seeing what we're seeing for draft picks and maybe some other players, they might be able to get a little bit more. Again, sign him to that deal and then trade him. Now, obviously, part of that trade is going to be him signing a long-term deal with the next team. And that's, I think, where it gets sticky because still, we don't know what he wants. So it's it's hard to speculate. The assumption is that he wants a deal much like Deshaun Watson with, with a ton of guaranteed money or all guaranteed. They can play with these numbers and just say over the first four years, you're going to get 200 and some million dollars. And then they can make the contract longer and, you know, voidable years. And they can do all sorts of different things. As long as he gets his money, I would imagine he'd be happy. But that portion would have to be guaranteed, it sounds like, because, you know, the bogey is out there. You know, everybody's pointing to the Deshaun Watson contract. And I mean, we've talked about this for the last couple of off seasons, but it is, uh, 
you know, a problem. And Bashadi was one of the first ones, and I've said it before, that came out, you know, against what uh, Jimmy Haslam did in Cleveland with Deshaun and that the fully guaranteed contract. And especially with his quarterback, as much as he runs and he's been injured in the last couple of years, you certainly would be leery about giving him a ton up front or a ton guaranteed. So that's going to be an interesting one. Another quarterback that's going to be an interesting decision is Daniel Jones. And here we are. We've come to that point where the Giants have to consider paying this guy. And if they do pay him, no middle ground. There's no middle class here. They would have to pay him in an extension on an average between, I'm guessing, upper 30s to mid 40s. I'm sorry. I just can't do that. Even on a franchise tag, maybe you can stomach it. Like you said, I think the non-exclusive is 32 million for a year and just hoping that in that time, maybe you draft somebody this year or find a trade somewhere. But he had those a few good games. Two of them were against Minnesota. Most of it has been, you know, using his legs. Now, granted, he doesn't have the the best weapons on the outside. I don't know. You pay him the franchise tag, maybe get some receivers, make him play quarterback the way most quarterbacks play, and then at the end of the year, you know what you got is this. This is our guy. Or this isn't because based on this year, you still don't know for sure. And laying out that kind of cash long term is going to be very dicey for the Mara family. As much as they like him as a guy and represents the team, they're not going anywhere with him playing that style. He has to be developed and maybe another year with Dable gets it done. I don't know, Alex. I know, I, I know you're not sold on this guy. I would sign him, though, Lou. I wouldn't franchise tag him. Here's my thinking. I looked it up. The, the Giants currently have about $47 million in cap space. So if they use the franchise tag on Daniel Jones, that would be, like you said, $32 million. That would leave him with about $14.5 million, all right, just in general, to negotiate other deals. They have to sign Barkley. Barkley had a great season this year. He was the catalyst on that team. I would go a different route. I would sign Daniel Jones for about three, four years, try to negotiate, try to get that deal done, and I would franchise tag Barkley because Barkley would cost me about $10 million as a franchise tag, okay? that My thinking is a quarterback is more important in the long term than the running back. And I understand oh, that. Absolutely. I, and yeah. I understand that, you know, Barkley is your entire offense at this point. He is the key cog. But the truth is, he's had some injuries. It would be tough for me to sign a running back to a five or six year deal. And I'm sure that's what Barkley is looking for. But he knows he's not getting that. I mean, he has to know. His agent knows. I mean, you just look at, you know, the past few years, any team that I think has extended a running back for any length of time has come back to regret it. Christian McCaffrey was injured a couple of times and then they ended up trading him. Right. So, and, and again, he's not the only example, but Saquon's had his injury problems. Isaiah Pacheco was a starting running back in the Super Bowl. He was a seventh round pick this year. Now, not saying that Pacheco's on the same level as Barkley, but they won the Super Bowl with paying that to their starting running back. So, yeah, I agree with you about the whole idea. 
quarterback, running back. But I think Saquon may at best three-year deal, 35-ish million, maybe 40. And if he box at that, hell, they can draft somebody else. He's great, no question. But you've got to, I guess, allocate your assets in a way that's going to best suit your team. And it just seems like running back is not where you want to put that kind of money. And the general manager and the head coach, they came from the Buffalo tree. The Buffalo yep. tree didn't have great running backs. All right, They don't value them as much. Even though I look at the numbers and Barkley had a career high, over 1,300 yards on the ground, 10 touchdowns, plus he caught 57 passes for over 300 yards. That's it's a lot. But I do realize that you, you bring up a good point. We see running backs getting traded all the time. We've seen it with Marshall Falk. We've seen it with Christian McCaffrey now. Even guys in their prime, guys that, that do a terrific job. I would do it that way, Lou. Negotiate with Daniel Jones. Try to get a decent number. You're not going to pay him a hell of a lot of money out there. He's not going to get that. But you sign him to like a three, four-year deal knowing that he had a better year this year under, under the guidance of that coaching staff, hoping that they can develop him more in the second year in that system. And I would franchise tag Saquon Barkley. That's how I would go and approach it. So I'm working hard right now trying to get that Daniel Jones deal done. Not for the next six or seven years because I don't want to lock myself up. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. But for a like a three-year deal, I think Daniel Jones would agree to that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because it, you know, over a three-year period, it's probably going to have to be over a hundred million dollars for sure. I mean, it might be even closer to you know one hundred and twenty million dollars. Just that's what the market is going to bear for that age of quarterback. Again, the Giants are prepared to do that. Obviously, they can afford it. It's well within the cap, and they can, again, play with the numbers with a contract versus you know the franchise tag. That is guaranteed one year. You can't. That's it. It's just that money comes off the cap, so you can't play around with that. So from that perspective, the flexibility of a long-term deal sounds great. I think it'll tell us what that coaching staff feels about him based on does he get that offer do they let him go to market and see what other teams are willing to pay him and say listen you know you go out you know see whatever you know if you want we'd love to have you back we'll match you know anything that that you're able to get now again it's a gentleman's agreement it's you know whatever the agent does you're not guaranteed of anything but that'll tell you kind of where they stand. Hey, if we like the deal that they're going to give you and you're okay with it, okay, we'll go ahead and pay that. But, you know, we're not going to sit here because if they're negotiating against themselves or against, you know, just these numbers that are out there of other quarterbacks that have signed recently, you know, they're looking minimum $40 million a year. Are you willing to do that, Alex? Like say, if that was it, if a three-year deal, 120 million, uh, I don't know, 90 of it guaranteed, a bunch of money up front. Does that suffice in your scenario here? I'm not a big fan of Daniel Jones, but I would do that deal, knowing that every year that number goes up. If I'm going to get the same production from him this year, him taking care of the football, not fumbling, not throwing picks, and just being... 
you know, more of a caretaker, not the guy who wins you games, I would go with that because, again, he was a top 10 pick. I saw development from him this year. I know he can operate in that system. I think every year he could get a little better. I realize that, again, he's not going to be a franchise type of guy, but he's a good enough player. And I think as I build that team a little more, I mean, I want stability at the quarterback position, at the most important position in the NFL on my offense. So, yes, I would do that deal. If I was a general manager, if I was in the front office, year three or year four, it would look like a bargain for the Giants organization. All right, so we'll see how much confidence they have in uh, Brian Dable's ability to get him to do for him what he did uh, with Josh Allen in Buffalo. Uh, speaking of Buffalo, another player looks like might be looking at a tag is Jordan Poyer in Buffalo. Now, again, at the safety position, the franchise tag isn't very cost prohibitive. Safeties, tight ends, and running backs are all very manageable for that one year. Now, again, the player is going to hate it. He wants a long-term deal. Is this a guy that you would franchise tag? I would because he is, you know, he's a guy that's been in the league for a while. I think he has been, you know, one of my main guys in the secondary. I think the Buffalo Bills value the secondary a great deal, just in general, how they evaluate players, uh, whether it's cornerbacks or safeties. It's an important part of their defense. This is their strength, usually. And I would. I would franchise tag Jordan Poyer. He's been in the league for almost 10 years, I believe. He's not a young guy. I wouldn't, I just... I don't feel comfortable extending him and giving him a big contract just because this is a player that's already over 30 years old. It's a lot. But I would franchise tag him. He can still be my main cog on defense. I want to keep that continuity. And the Buffalo Bills are going to be trying again to reach that Super Bowl. And, and they have a good enough team. So I think Poyer is, is a guy that I would try to secure for an extra year. Yeah, certainly. I mean, he fits the profile again, you know, short term. He's a little bit older, but he does bring that veteran experience, uh, kind of the quarterback of the defense from from behind. Uh, and they, you know, quite frankly, that was I think they'd like it to be the strength of their team, but it was kind of their weakness of the team. You know, when it was all said and done, Tredavious White hasn't, you know, by the time he finally came back, it really d doesn't quite look like the player he was before the injury. Uh, Micah Hyde was injured. So they had a, a, a ton of injuries back there. So uh, yeah, it would be a very significant piece to keep for sure. Uh, another guy that, that seemed to thrive in Jacksonville, where in New York, they, Again, these guys get drafted. I mean, we talk about Andrew uh, Kadarius Tony with the Chiefs or the Giants. Kind of like here's another player that the Giants draft, and now all of a sudden he's looking like a guy that's that may get a long term extension. A tight end in Doug Peterson's offense is always going to get a lot of attention, a lot of targets. Evan Ingram, you saw him in the playoff game. You saw him down the stretch. He he really kind of came came into his own. Do you get a sense that this is like he's kind of breaking out or he kind of hit his ceiling no i think he's just in the right system with the right quarterback uh, like you said peterson has always used the tight ends with the eagles they loved that a part of the offense they were always featured in his offense i think the jaguars have some weapons on the outside which gives 
Evan Ingram, those one-on-one situations. We all remember at the combine, he's he ran a 4-4. He's a fast guy still. And he got open. They gave him a lot of those matchups. I think in that scheme, he's going to get an opportunity to succeed. I don't think he's hit his ceiling at all. He's 28 years old. I would actually give him a contract for a few years. You know, I would sign him to a long-term deal. You know, three, four years. Um, give him, you know, the assurance that, hey, I want you around. I wouldn't franchise tag him. He's got Trevor Lawrence. They seem to have, you know, down the stretch, he had very impressive performances against in the the Chargers game in the playoffs. And then, obviously, you know, there were a couple of other games I remember before the playoffs where he was just, he was the main target for that team. So I wouldn't want to break up that continuity. So, uh, to me, Evan Ingram is definitely a candidate to get a long-term deal. Yeah, matchup nightmare. I mean, he's basically just a big wide receiver when it comes right down to it. And you know, they try to you try to cover him with with linebackers, you're you're done. Uh, you try to cover, you know, use safeties. Now that that opens up the run game. So yeah, I mean, he's he's a great piece to have. I think it'll just come down to hey, can we get a long-term deal with this guy or not uh, at their price point because they spent a ton of money in free agency last year and now they've also had traded for calvin ridley and i would imagine he had a pretty decent sized contract that that comes with him to jacksonville so uh we'll see how that goes but uh yeah ingram great you know great matchup guy all right, go to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the commanders, Deron Payne, they've got like, all these first-round picks on their defensive line. This guy is more of an inside player, but uh, that young with that skill set, yeah, you'd like to lock him up long-term, but it, again, perfect candidate for that franchise tag. I think they will just because of who Ron Rivera is. I think he values you know defense. He knows that those guys up front are – play a key role you know hopefully they'll get chase young back and you have to have those key cogs on the inside you know deron Payne had a breakout year you know 11 and a half sacks last year just kind of came on and and showed why he was you know a first round pick i i can't see them like letting him go just in general you gotta lock him up yeah to their team i mean it's kind of like i mean if the like the chiefs with chris jones or like the Rams with Aaron Donald, you've got these inside guys that can rush the passer as well as stop the run. Those guys are very difficult to find. You got to keep them when you can get them. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Now, here's a little bit of a, a, a strange one. This is a curveball. Josh Jacobs. We start out last year. He's getting all kinds of run in the Hall of Fame game. Right. I mean, and we're like, what's why? What are they doing here? Are they featuring him for a trade? Uh, he's like the only one of the only veterans that played any amount of snaps for the Raiders in that game. And it was just kind of a weird thing. He comes on to have a career year, leads the league uh, in rushing. He looks like the player that he was at Alabama. Hey, give me a chance. Give me enough carries and I'll and I'll get it done. Uh, so this is a weird. One. I don't know if they if they love him or they don't want to pay him or whatever. But again, we talked about that running back franchise tag. It is not cost prohibitive to the team. Sucks for the player. Again, a running back losing another year uh, off their wheels, if you would, and making $10 million. So again, from the team perspective, 
it seems unless they've got somebody else in mind, this would be an easy one for me. It seems like a logical step for them. I mean, he had a career year. He rushed for over like 600 yards this year. He contributes to them in the passing game, even though they declined his fifth-year option before the season started, but he was motivated. I mean, he was just, he, he wanted to, the way he played, he wanted to prove to the Raiders that he deserves that long-term deal. Just knowing where that coach came from, where the GM came from, the Patriots are not going to give him a long-term deal. So they're going to franchise tag him. And if they can get a trading partner, maybe like a late first-round pick and an extra third-round pick, they'll be willing to do that deal. Just because I know that they want to get some extra picks, knowing who the Patriots are. They believe in the draft. They believe they can get the, these running backs later on on day three or as undrafted free agents. So it's not like they're they're married to Josh Jacobs. They'd love to have him. They'll franchise tag him. Maybe somebody would trade for him. Who knows? I mean, he's still a young guy who didn't have a lot of carries in college. That's the thing. Like, we can look at his usage, like in the NFL. He has over like a 1,000 carries, I believe, during his like four years there. But in college at Alabama, he only had like one year. So he's fresh in that regard. I think he'll stick with the Raiders. I don't think anybody would trade for a running back or even give up a late first-round pick. But I don't think the Raiders are going to be rushing anytime soon to give him, you know, a four- or five-year deal. Yeah, and I, again, the, the the trade aspect of it, I don't think teams would be willing to go much higher than a third-round pick for really any running back anymore just because the fact we talked about it earlier with Saquon is that you, there's just guys out there that – you know, like you said, second day picks, third day picks, undrafted guys, you know, coming on and making contributions. So, yeah, you know, again, it's all about allocating the assets. And if you can get similar play from somebody that is on a, a rookie deal, especially a, a later round pick, it's just it, it's just a value proposition. Is it really that much uh, more? valuable to pay somebody 12 million is he really going to be that much better than say maybe a rookie making about a million dollars on his first contract or two million whatever so uh yeah that'll be interesting to see but josh jacobs is just you know yeah i mean he lit it up uh last one for me is uh orlando brown jr uh played under the franchise tag last year he was uh, one of the uh, I think there was eight there was eight guys got tagged last year. Four guys got extensions. Four guys didn't. Obviously, Orlando Brown was one of them. Uh, there was uh, Jesse Bates uh, from Cincinnati. So, I mean, is he a candidate? Would they do the second franchise tag on him where now it's, you know, the the cost goes up? I think like 20% or 15% of what the previous tag was. Dalton Schultz was uh, one of those guys that did not get the extension. I guess he'd be eligible for a franchise tag. Mike Kosicki from Miami. I don't know if I'm seeing it there with him. But Orlando Brown Jr., again, played under the tag last year. The tag, I believe, this year is $20 million. I'm sure he's looking for much more than that. I know he's looking for much more than that. He wants to be paid you know, at the top of the market. And Trent Williams is at the top of the market. And I just don't see Orlando being as good as Trent. And I think the Chiefs feel the same way because they were in on Trent Williams when he signed the big deal uh, with San Francisco. And they were a little 
disappointed when they didn't get him. I think they had a deal in place, and at the last minute, he just decided, you know, he'd rather go San Francisco, and that's fine, no problem. But, you know, Brown, you see different ratings, just the eyeball test and just typical fans watching. He's good, but he's not a great left tackle. I think he, you know, he was originally with Baltimore right tackle, and I think he'd be a great right tackle, but he's not going back once he's playing on the left side. PFF grades are above average but he keeps getting uh voted to pro bowls i don't know that maybe the other left tackles in the afc aren't as popular as he is i don't know but uh, i think rashawn slater might have something to say there but i just don't see that the chiefs going big on brown i think this is going to be another franchise tag for him and hopefully you know they strike gold in the draft and have somebody that they can replace him with. Uh, we've seen Brett Feach do this with with other positions, and he's been pretty successful at it. So I got to believe in the back of his mind, there is a certain number that he's willing to invest in that position in this player. And if it's you know a lot less than what the player is looking for, obviously they're at impasse. Again, unless he has somebody in mind that he can go get the franchise tag is going to get slapped on him and just continue to go that route year after year. Well, this would, this would be it. I think after the second tag, you're you're probably not going to go beyond that just because now the money you're paying him exactly what you would have paid him under a regular contract, but it's guaranteed money every year. So the players doesn't want that. The team certainly doesn't want to keep going, but I think just where they are. And now if they had drafted somebody that looks like could push him and play that position, sure. They drafted Derek Kennard from, from Kentucky. Uh, they didn't quite hit you know lightning in a bottle like they did with Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey the year before, but he could certainly, uh, I think, work into a right tackle position if Andrew Wiley leaves. He's a free agent. Unless he, again, if he has something in mind that he wants to do, if there's a free agent out there that he knows that he can get and prefers him, then I would say yes. But my gut tells me franchise tag and then, you know, they're probably going to draft his replacement or potential replacement this year. That seems like the logical idea there. I mean, that that's something that the Chiefs, I think, do well with. It's a, yeah, I mean, it's a big number, but, and I know, you know, Patrick's number, I mean, it was pretty robust this year i think it'll be you know in the in the mid 40s this year i think he'll he'll have like the i think the third highest cap charge in the league which again for them is a great deal but here we are and you know you got to feel the you got to feel the team they did real well with their rookie class last year i mean you can't complain about that but most of them were on the defensive side of the ball so maybe you know again this year they kind of retool that offensive line again we talked a little bit about daniel jones and, and really i guess just just put this in context is that we look at these players and we're not always talking about them specifically as, you know, the talent that they have, but you have to also, in this case, it's a value. It's almost like a stock. I mean, it has it reached its peak. Is it time to trade it, sell it, you know, whatever. We were talking a little bit off air, what you do with some of these guys, like a, like a Derek Carr. And I don't know that it was the player that they cut 
in Las Vegas, more so the contract that $40 million guaranteed came uh, due, if you would, if he was on the roster, I think it was like three or four days after the Super Bowl. So that's why he's kind of a free agent before anybody else, because he's been cut and he's taking visits. Uh, they did the New Orleans one where they, they thought that a trade worked out, but it didn't. He did his first free agent visit with the Jets. But I think the Jets are probably trying to weigh their options, too, because, again, we're looking for that white puff of smoke to come from Aaron Rodgers camp. And when he comes out of his darkness shell to say, OK, here's what I'm going to do. And maybe the Jets jump at him if he says he's not going back to Green Bay or the Packers say, you know what, we're just going to try and move you. We'd. We're ready for Jordan Love. So uh, a lot of moving parts. You've got the Lamar Jackson thing. We talked about the, the po- potential tag and trade there. So that's going to be the kind of the, the first dominoes that start to fall. Uh, and then you've got some lesser guys like Jimmy G and Baker and Tannehill. Geno's a free agent. And then, again, I don't think it's going to happen. Jerry Jones watching that Super Bowl or any owner watching the championship games, the latter part of the playoffs, and looking at those quarterbacks thinking, we need one of those guys. And if you don't have one, but you've got Dak Prescott and you're paying him like one of those guys, you got to start to think, geez, you know, did we overpay here? Now, Jerry loves the guy. He's great for the league. He's great for the team. Great image. Walter Payton, man of the year. I mean, the dude would be perfect in any organization. But is he good enough to lead them to a Super Bowl? That's, I think, where teams are thinking, because no matter what, you've got to pay these guys. Jimmy G is going to sign a contract well into the 30 millions. Right. Derek Carr is going to do the same, probably in the 40s. We talked about Dan- hell, Daniel Jones. If he gets that kind of money, what's Gino going to get? So that, that's kind of just the whole overarching thing. How much are you willing to invest in a position that is going to make or break your team? And you kind of go in thinking he's nowhere near what the teams that are going to be in the playoffs are going to be late in the playoffs have. So what do we do? What do we do, Alex? Another musical chair with quarterbacks yeah. out here. Yeah. You know, you can guess all you want. I do think that the Packers are done with Aaron Rodgers, especially because of the year that they had. Big expectations that the Packers were going to contend. And they fell way short of that. So you got to move on now with your young quarterback that you drafted in the first round. And I think Aaron Rodgers feels that as well. So I look at the Jets. They just hired Nathaniel Hackett. They have a great defense. They're going to get that running game back with Brees Hall. They've got weapons, a wide receiver that Aaron Rodgers didn't have, okay? This is a team that's a quarterback away. I mean, bring in Aaron Rodgers for a year or two. They're going to be like Super Bowl contenders. If you want to put money right now on the Jets, I don't know what it is right now, what the line is, but put the money on now because... By the time they trade for Aaron Rodgers, that number is going to go up, all right? So if there's one team that could make that jump, it's the Jets. I would say they should do it. should give it a try. They've went that route before, right, with the former great Packers quarterback, Brett Favre. 
They should do it following, a second time. Still following in Favre's footsteps. Do you think you think Aaron wants to do that? You think he, he's just like like this incredible irony is running in his head where he was the young guy waiting, waiting. When do I get my turn? Then he finally did. Now at the end of his career, it's all it's getting really weird, like it did with Favre. A little bit different. He retired, unretired, all that. BS. But the bottom line is it looks like he's following that path. So eventually he'll make it to Minnesota in a few years. But they're going to have to get some assurances from Rodgers that he's going to be around in the offseason because, you know, he's going to go to a new team. Very young wide receivers, much as as what he had in Green Bay. And he didn't spend any time with them until training camp. Now, granted, Garrett Wilson has busted out and he's going to be a, a you know top wide receiver. So it's not quite like Christian Watson being a rookie and not really having played at, at this level or really the power five level, whatever in college, they would have to get him in there. I mean, would Hackett be enough for him to participate in the, in the off season? That's the question you have to ask. And then just ask him, Hey, listen, we're willing to make this trade. We got it. One restructure your contract a bit, because I think they'd probably want at least two years for him to stay for sure. But the other part is you got to be here, man. You got to be all in. You can't just show up at training camp and say, okay, I'm here, let's go, and then expect the results that, or be surprised at the end of the year when you lose again and not even make the playoffs last year in the NFC, which was just ridiculous. So just to me, that's a huge bogey that they have to get through, get over. That's where it's going to be very interesting. Oh, come on, Lou. The Jets haven't had a decent quarterback since Chad Pennington, and that's – you know, late 1990s, early 2000. Well, if you can I get Aaron Rodgers, yeah, I mean, the, even the past history... his prime, I would be willing to go there. Who do I have right now? Mike White? Zach Wilson? Are you kidding me? Like, come on. I mean, you got to like jump all in, especially since you have the weapons. You have the running okay, game. So let me, you have let the me defense. Ask you, I understand all that, okay? But it's not just Aaron Rodgers, the player that shows up on Sunday He's got to be the leader of the team. He's got to be comfortable with the New York media. You see what he does with the with the Green Bay media and everything. He, it's all about him. So I'm not saying that you don't bring him in, but you have to get his buy-in to be there and work with these guys during the offseason. He can handle the New York media he's, better than Zach Wilson, okay? Let, let's just put it well, out there. I mean, he can that's block a pretty, them out. Zach Wilson's a pretty low bar, okay? I mean, no, he, but I'm he just was telling kid, you that's what he you was have like right a kid, now. He was like a sheep led to slaughter. I mean, that, that really wasn't fair. But, yeah, I mean, I would like to see Aaron there, and I think the Jets would like to have him. But, again, it's just hard to, for just to drop a guy in that's just going to show up when he has to. Right. All these other teams, again, these other young quarterbacks that are leading their teams well into the playoffs, into the Super Bowl are guys that are all in 365 days of the year. He's he has out won there. a Super Bowl. He's won the MVPs. I'm not buying this fact that he's not he, he doesn't buy in. All right. I, I'm just not buying it right now. Has he checked out right now mentally with a guy like Aaron Rodgers? When you switch teams which he hasn't done at all because he's been with Green Bay all of his time. When you switch teams, that gives you extra motivation to get a kick in the butt and to prove to everyone that, hey, there's talk out there that you're not motivated. Let, let's give it a go. I think that's who Aaron Rodgers is. 
I mean, he wants to show people, yeah, he is motivated. He can go in there and he can help the Jets win and get into the playoffs, something that they haven't done since the Rex Ryan days. Oh, no, and they have to win right now, and I'm sure Salah's thinking that too. And again, the player to me, yeah, absolutely. You make the move. If you, if you can get him, do it. I would just like to know that he's not just going to be there when he has to be. I'd like to see him you know, in the OTAs and everything else because it is such a young team. He has to kind of, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure they'll have his respect, but again, kind of earn it too to make it seem like he's part of the team and not just this guy we're dropping in you know, at training camp and say, okay, he's, he's your leader now. Whereas a lot of those things get built up during the offseason. Now, again, if you want to roll the dice with that, that's fine. But then you have to go in knowing that this might just be a one or two year proposition. And bottom line is either we're going to need the rookie to, to hang around for a couple of years and we develop him, Zach Wilson, or we're going to have to draft his replacement like this year or next year as well. So that's that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying don't go after him. I'm saying you you want to get some of those things ironed out beforehand, and I'm sure they would. I think it's a win-win thing for the organization and for Aaron Rodgers. He's sick of Green Bay. He's got to move on. I think he's always a guy that plays better with the chip on his shoulder. He, he has done that throughout his career. He's proven people wrong. If he makes this jump, he is going to be committed, at least for this year. Sala knows that this is it. If he doesn't win and show improvement, he's done. He certainly can't be confident with what he has at quarterback. And the Jets, I don't think they're going to get one of those top quarterbacks out there. Are you invested again to trade up to get a young guy? Or do you want to get Aaron Rodgers, who has proven that he wins in this league consistently? This isn't just up and down career. This is like a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I'm all in. I also don't understand the Raiders, man. I mean, they've got like Derek Carr who's a good enough quarterback. Josh McDaniels gets there. Everybody's like thinking, ooh, Derek Carr is going to go even up. He's going to have another Pro Bowl season. He's got all those weapons. They trade for Devontae Adams. All of a sudden, the relationship goes sour. I think it, it did go sour. They like said to themselves, okay, they, we've got this contract. We don't think that Derek Carr is worthy of this. I mean, Josh McDaniels is crap. I mean, I, I've known this all along. But as a head coach, I mean, he's just, he's not a leader. This guy just doesn't motivate anyone. How can a quarterback who is a playoff-worthy quarterback, maybe not a Super Bowl-worthy quarterback, but a playoff-worthy quarterback, has his worst year ever under Josh McDaniels? I mean, these guys are smart. They should have worked it out. So you let Derek Carr go, and who are you going to replace him with? Jimmy G? Is that an upgrade or something like that? I think that's where the Raiders are heading right now, based on where they sit. They're also not going to get one of these top quarterbacks. I don't think anybody's going to go there. Nobody wants to work with Josh McDaniels, so I think it's going to be Jimmy G. Is Jimmy G an upgrade over Derek Carr? I don't think so. So I don't know what the hell Josh McDaniels and the Raiders are doing, what the plan they have, but they ruined basically having a good enough quarterback, a top 10 quarterback, to not having anybody at all and having Jared Stidham. And maybe getting Jimmy G, who's coming off another injury. Like I said, Josh McDaniels to just move somewhere else. I mean, XFL is probably where he deserves to be. He's probably a head coach for the XFL, but not just NFL worthy. I mean, this guy's just crap. Again, I don't think they're they're saying that Derek Carr is not a good player. Again, I think it comes down to the money. 
the guaranteed money and the replacement wasn't necessarily going to be as good as him, Jimmy G or whatever, that he could, I guess, run his offense, do what the way he wants to do it at a lower price tag because they're looking at in their division alone, you've got Mahomes, you got Herbert, and you got to believe that Sean Payton's going to get that team playing a little bit better than they did last year. So looking in the division, are we willing, again, to invest $40 million in this quarterback that's probably not going to get us much further than we've been getting? Or can we get you know maybe a longer-term thing? Or you go to the mercenary route. And if the Jets would be all in for, for A-Rod, I got to believe that the Raiders might do the same thing. And, and if, you know, DeMonte Adams has anything to say about it, I'm sure he would be, you know, driving the bus, if you would. They got rid of one of his buddies, maybe they bring in his other buddy. So, again, I think it comes down to these teams looking at it and saying, okay, we're paying all this money for a guy that is good. I mean, he's a good player, great. You know, he can get it done, but not get the ultimate prize. Do we want to pay that much? Whereas with A-Rod, they, like you said, they know, hey, what they're going to get, we'll pay him. Sure, let's do it. Shorter term, not as much money, you know, over the long haul, whatever you want to say. But maybe for a couple of years, we'll have a shot. It's just a tough spot to be in, you know, because, again, there's so many quarterbacks that are kind of in that mid-range, but they don't get paid at mid-range when their contracts come up. All of a sudden, because of the way the market is, you got to pay $40 million. Now we're starting quarterback, $40 million, like bottom line. I mean, it, we're not even going to consider anything less than that. For the guy that's got to stroke that check, it's a little different, right? I can't imagine Aaron Rodgers coming to Las Vegas and working with Josh McDaniels. That's like the worst thing ever. Those guys are not going to mesh at all. Knowing who Josh McDaniels is and knowing who Aaron Rodgers is, the New York thing, I could see that working. The Las Vegas Raiders thing, I mean, that's just going to blow up in their face. Do you go with the mercenary quarterback and take your shot for a couple of years? Uh, At some point, I guess another route would be, you know, looking at the formula of a guy on his rookie deal, build a team around him, Go for four years. If you don't win the Super Bowl, you know, draft another quarterback, reset the clock. I mean, there's a lot of, I guess, different ways you go until you get that guy. Uh, and when I say that guy, there's only like five or six in the league. You got Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, maybe Herbert. We'll see. Trevor Lawrence probably not going anywhere anytime you know in his in his career except where he is right now. Rodgers is still on the fringe because of his age, really, more than anything else. So you got to pick your poison here, I guess, and and still feel like you got a shot to win it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what shakes out and what GMs, how they start to treat the quarterback position, because you're almost locked in, you know, in that 40 and above now. And if you don't feel that guy is worth it or or can get you where you want to go, why pay it? Right. I don't disagree. I mean, obviously they felt that they couldn't, the Raiders felt that they couldn't win the Super Bowl with Derek Carr. So they reset the whole thing. But, you know, good luck to Josh McDaniels next year. You mentioned the division that he plays in and the Raiders are probably going to finish fourth. And so Josh McDaniels is going to be 
working for the Patriots next offseason. I'm sure Bill Belichick <laughs> is going to hire him as an offensive coordinator once Bill O'Brien rehabilitates yeah. himself and gets Mac Jones going in the right direction. And that's where he belongs. Some guys are just not meant to be the CEOs. Some guys are just really good managers. Some guys yep. are just really good department heads. They do their job well. You know, they're very organized. They know how to run that offense. They run a tight ship. But, you know, something is just missing. He's not a motivator. He's not a guy that makes guys run through walls for him. So, yeah, McDaniels, that's that's probably where he belongs. Offensive coordinator, a very good one at that. I would never hire him, of course. But overall, I mean, hey, it's it's okay. I mean, I could never mesh with him. I could never work with him. I'd never hire him as a head coach. Definitely not. Alex is not a fan of Josh McDaniel. I am not and never have been ever since his failure as as a head coach of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, it's just not the the, the type of man that I want working for. I me. think he did advocate for Tim Tebow, so he had that going for him. Well, good. For All right, him. some some quick hitters before we go. Gino, does he stay in Seattle or does he test the market? I think they're going to franchise tag him, and I think you Seattle. Think? I think Seattle might bring in a young quarterback, knowing things that I know about Seattle. I think they might be drafting that quarterback there early. And I think Geno Smith is going to get that franchise tag. Well, they certainly have the draft capital to do it. And uh, this would be the time too, unless they're waiting, you know, maybe they trade into next year, uh, you know, looking at those quarterbacks a little bit higher rated, I guess, if, if you would, Derek May uh, and some of the others. All right. Uh, Baker is, is Baker a starting quarterback in the NFL? If he stays with the Rams somehow, he is a starting quarterback in that system. I, I don't give him a chance anywhere else. I think he's a backup in well, most well, other Stafford, places. Well, Stafford, you got to believe Stafford's coming back. I mean, he's said as much, so I don't, I don't know that that's that's really an option. I believe, I, I believe you. Yeah, he'd be great with McVay. Obviously, he showed it. I don't know, you know, if they're Super Bowl team, but obviously Stafford got him there. I don't know what Stafford's got left, but uh, that's going to be a tough place for him. How about Tannehill? I think he's a goner. Just knowing everything that's happening with Tennessee out there, the fact that they've changed offensive coordinators again, they fired some other guys, I don't think they have the belief that they have, you know, the quarterback in place, even though they drafted one last year, quarterback out of Liberty in the third round. But, I mean, he didn't look very good as a rookie. I do think Tannehill is a goner, and I think somebody else is going to jump on it and try to bring in – bring him in for, for the next year or two. All right. Finally, uh, EB, Eric B enemy, uh, makes the move away from Andy Reed. And I think they probably had a long discussion about this. Uh, he ends up still in the Andy Reed tree with uh, riverboat Ron there in Washington. Uh, I guess he's going to run his, he's going to run the offense. He's going to call plays. Uh, they also added assistant head coach to his title. So I, I don't know. Do you, do you think this will change owners' minds or GMs' minds when it comes to hiring Eric Bieniemy? If he's if he succeeds in Washington, if he succeeds in Washington, I think it should. I think he has the weapons in place. He has the wide receivers. He has the running backs. He has to have the quarterback. Eric Bieniemy. Washington doesn't have a quarterback for Eric Bieniemy, as far as I'm Sam concerned. Sam Howell, right now, as far as far as we know, that's what uh, Ron's saying. He's the starting quarterback. 
they will have a competition, but right now he's their starter, Sam Howell. He was drafted in the fifth round, Lou. A yeah. guy that was oh, yeah. talked about as a first-round potential pick, a guy that was talked about as a first-round pick, all of a sudden drops to the fifth round. I don't know. I wouldn't feel too good about that. You know, the fact that this guy has started, what, one game? I don't know. That, right. That's yeah. a tough proposition for me. But if Eric Bieniemy is able to develop Sam Howell, and show that he's a good enough starting quarterback. He certainly has the weapons and the offense to do it. I, I think there's no question in my in my mind that Eric Bieniemy will get a head coaching job next offseason. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just a tough one. We've talked about this. You know, Peterson didn't call plays for Reed. Matt Nagy probably didn't. I mean, again, it's a collaborative thing. They always say that, but the perception is that Andy Reid's the mastermind, and he is. But you know, these guys do call some of the plays. Now, I'm sure there there are times where Reid will famously tell you he's got 51 percent of the vote. But these guys are actively coaching these guys, putting them in position, coming up with different game plans. So whatever. But you know, EB, it just seems like the the mark keeps moving for him and I don't even know what success looks like in Washington for him to I mean are they going to have to be like a top five offense and you know make the playoffs make a run in the playoffs oh god I mean he, he made all the difference in the world or is it going to be more of a reasonable evaluation I don't think it is I mean I think he's going to have to be so good that they, you know, you just can't deny it. But uh, yeah, that's just a tough deal. I, I hope, I, I wish him the best. Um, I'm thinking maybe Nagy moves up back into the OC position, uh, quarterback coach. I'd love to see Alex Smith come in and do it. I think he'd be a natural. I think Reed would love it if he did, but uh, we'll see what Alex wants to do. Hey, maybe Cliff comes back from Thailand and says, "Hey, me and Pat, me and Patrick go way back. I, I can do this." I also wish Derek Carr all the best now that he's left the Raiders. I hope he goes to to a place where <laughs> he he's got more away. Wanted. He got away from the demon. He got away from the demon, Josh McDaniel. <laughs> he certainly did. I don't see how it's going to work in a cold weather place because Derek Carr can't win in cold weather. So New York is probably out, but. The Saints, Carolina. the Carolina. Saints, Carolina, maybe Tampa, if they could find the cap space. I think those are the three teams. I think the NFC South is a very good spot for Derek yeah. Carr at one of those he'd places. Immediate, he'd immediately be the best starting quarterback in the, in the division. And I think playing under Frank Reich would be perfect. So I think that, I mean, if I had to choose a landing spot for him, just from a pure football sensibility, I don't know what they can afford to pay him. But uh, I think that would just be perfect landing spot for him because they've got a, a decent defense. They're young. Uh, they've got some weapons. And I think the coaching staff that Reich is putting together is, is pretty good one. And yeah, the division is there to be had. So let's go Panthers. That is going to do it for us this week, gang. Thanks again to our guest, Shaquille Brown of the Troy Trojans. Let's go Trojans. For my partner, Alex, I'm Lou. Till next time. Peace.